Welcome. How are we all going? Good. Good. Good to see. Good to hear. Andrew, if we could get that um, PowerPoint up, that would be great. Okay. Hmm. Andrew, it's not just your eyes. It is. Uh, it is blurry. Um, you don't need glasses. It's okay. Uh, but you may remember. Uh, I haven't been to the movies in a long time, actually. Um, when was the last time you went to the, the cinema? Um, Kat normally loves going to the movies, but we haven't been able to for a while. But um, I guess they're back open. But there was a bit of a craze a few years ago. Uh, these things. I used to go along to the movies, and um, everyone would be having these on. And um, probably should stand in front of this. And uh, what were these for? 3D. 3D, yeah. To be able to see things in, in 3D. And so, you know, the picture would really sort of stand out and, uh, and come to life and transform. And I want to suggest today uh, that our passage is all about um, how Jesus, the Messiah, um, and his kingdom uh, will transform, transform the world. And so I want to have that as the main idea. As we look at this passage, I want you to think about Jesus being those 3D glasses that sort of bring it all into perspective to sort of transform it, to, um, to make it clear, to help us to really understand um, what God has um, a purpose for us. So let's, let's remember that. Um, something that was said of, uh, I think Raf said this about the prophetic books, sometimes we get caught up in uh, all, the, um, all the prophecies. And uh, I just want to add to that in that... Um, when we're reading the book of Isaiah, it does jump around a little bit in relation to sort of prophetic perspective. And it'll jump from, you know, the here and now, uh, and then it'll jump to, you know, five years later or, or 50 years later or even um, 500 years later. And sometimes that can be pretty hard sort of working out, uh, when is Isaiah talking about here? What period is he talking about? And so... Um, I want you to sort of think about it a bit like uh, a mountain range. I was in Switzerland, and uh, they've got mountains there. We've got hills here, they've got mountains. And uh, I remember looking out um, from Zurich and seeing these mountains, and later on we went out and, and travelled to them, and it wasn't just uh, like one mountain. These mountains continu- continued. It was a whole mountain range. And so... I guess I want us to have that perspective of when we read um, Isaiah, and it's particularly this passage here, that we might see uh, a mountain, but it's actually part of a, a big mountain range. Um, as, we're, as we're reading this passage, let's look at the whole perspective of it. And so it might, um, it might sort of look like mountains are close. It might look like the time is close, the passages are close, but they're actually dealing with with great um, time differences. Okay, so let's um, let's try and keep that into perspective as well. So, um, uh, I think it was titled in. Uh, I was given the title for this, the Golden Age. Uh, I've sort of changed it a little bit to the Messiah and His Kingdom, and so um, hopefully I won't get in trouble for that later on. Uh, we, we left chapter ten. And, uh, last week, and, uh, that was the idea of the Lord chopping down, um, the proud 
and the um, the mighty trees and um, of sort of Assyria and and, um, and those that bring judgment. If we actually turn to our Bibles and uh, let's just read those first uh, those last few verses. So verse chapter ten verse thirty three. It says, See the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will lop off the, the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled. The tall ones will be brought low. He will cut down the forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. So he's sort of, um, there's this portrayal of this sort of destruction of, um, of I guess arrogant human um, evil of this sort of this forest that's been felled, and uh, and now it's sort of laid laid bare. And there's tree stumps; they've been sort of robbed of their, I guess, the glory because they're, they're just the stumps. They don't have a head, and they don't have you know the trunk, and um, they're not going to bear fruit anymore. Just stumps, dead stumps. Um, but. The Lord wants to give Judah hope. Um, he wants to, he wants to sort of remind them that even though that there's this, this dead looking stump, there is still hope. And so, um, he does. Uh, Andrew, have we, all good? Sorry. Try again. Okay. Oh. Okay. Thank you. Oh. Okay. Sorry. So um, he does, and it says here uh, in in verse one uh, that there's a small shoot that's going to sprout, and it's going to sprout from the um, from the root of, of a dry stump. But um, it's not just any stump. It's the uh, it has lineage back to to Jesse family Jesse. Now, uh, why does it mention Jesse? He wasn't a king, right? Why doesn't it mention David, King David? Well, I I think the Lord's emphasizing the humble nature of the Messiah. Uh, Jesse was much less famous than, than uh, than King David. And when Christ was born, um, there was nothing royal about his about his dynasty. Um, it is far more humble to say Jesse uh, than to say from King David. So, how is this fulfilled uh, in Jesus? So, let's sort of just uh, this is talking about the Messiah. We know that Jesus is the Messiah. So, let's have a closer look at Jesus. Um, Jesus did come from um, the family line of Jesse. Uh, he has the royal authority of the house of David. Um, even though it's been dormant 600 years, um, Jesus came as, as the king and as the Messiah. He wasn't born in a palace. Uh, he was, where was he born? In a stable. Um, he wasn't born into riches. He was placed in a, in a manger. In a, in a feeding trough. We can read in Second Samuel chapter 7, um, a covenant that God makes with David. It's known as the Davidic covenant. 
And it's a key verse in 16 um, where God promises to establish God's throne forever. And so with Jesus coming in that family line, uh, the Messiah would sit on the throne eternally. And so fulfills that, um, that, that promise. My dad often says that, um, because my mum's from England, that she has royal blood. Um, I haven't seen her family line go back to um, the, the royal family, um, but we can see in Matthew and, and, and Luke the genealogy of Jesus. We can see that it goes, that it goes back to David. And so he has that, um, th- that um, authority and that, um, that line, that kingly line. Um, so, uh, the branch or the shoot that comes up out of the apparently dead stump isn't just barely alive. It's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it, um, it says that it will bear fruit. If you know anything about grafting um, and fruit trees, I don't know a lot, but from what I've been reading, if you just sort of uh, have, a, have a tree, a, an apple tree, for example, uh, usually it gets grafted in. You've got a wild apple tree. Usually you've got uh, a grafted in an apple tree that will then produce fruit. If you just cut it down at the stump below the grafting, it's not going to produce fruit. It might grow again and produce shoots, but it's not going to produce um, the fruit that you can eat. Um, whereas this is fruit, um, like luscious fruit, that's talking about here. Uh, in verse 2 it says, uh, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. So just like um, David was... Um, empowered by the Holy Spirit and other people in the Old Testament. Uh, the Messiah will be um, empowered by the Holy Spirit. When it says to rest on him, it's not just to sort of come and, I guess, like uh, other people then left him, like um, we read of Saul, that the Spirit left Saul. Um, no, no, this is like a permanency um, it's not just going to come and go. It's going to um, the spirit will rest on him and stay. Uh, now, how do we see this fulfilled? Let's just uh, sorry jump in here. Um, how do we see this fulfilled? If we look into uh, Matthew, or if we look into where Jesus uh, is baptized, if we go to Matthew chapter three verse sixteen, it's got it talks about Jesus being baptized. And what does it say when Jesus is baptized? As he comes out of the water, um, what is it? Spirit of the Lord will come and uh, um, descend on him like a dove and a lightning on him. So um, Jesus is the Messiah. He has the Spirit of the Lord on him, um, in him. Um, well then uh, in, ver- in verse 2, it sort of talks about... Um, I guess the different aspects or different characteristics of the spirit, and uh, it's broken up into uh, three pairs. And so let's uh, let's have a look at each pair now. The first pair um, is the spirit of wisdom and understanding. This relates to, I guess, the power of the mind. Um, Definition of wisdom is uh, use your knowledge and experience to make good decisions 
and judgments. Definition of understanding. Knowledge about a subject, situation, etc., or how something works. So the Messiah is he's, he's perfectly wise in all, in, all, um, in all things and understands all things. Jesus understands us perfectly, doesn't he? He showed us, uh, he showed among us during his earthly ministry and he shows us now, um, in his ministry towards us in heaven. When I think about Jesus and how he, he demonstrated these, um, I think of when he was with the Pharisees and the Pharisees were questioning him and, and, um, and grilling him and they were trying to trick him. And um, several times, I can think of uh, one time when they showed him a coin and they said, oh, uh, so who, who should we give this to? Should we give this to, um, to Caesar or should we give this to God? Um, who does it belong to? Jesus was, was perfect in wisdom and understanding. He, uh, he completely um, knows, um, knows, knows everything and he responded so well, didn't he? Blew, blew them away. And um, they just sort of just then left. Uh, the second pair of um, characteristics here is the, the spirit of counsel and the spirit of power. Definition of counsel, to give advice, especially on social and personal problems. Definition of power, the ability to control people and events. So Nasai has the ability to adopt right conclusions and the power to work these decisions out, to actually put them into action. doesn't just know it, but he actually he does it as well. Jesus was both um, has both wisdom and understanding to be the perfect counsellor, doesn't he? He has the power to do what he desires to do. I think many of us would um, we would help if we, if we could, but sometimes we feel like we're powerless. Um, others might even have the power, but aren't even willing to. They don't care about us. But Jesus, he has the love and he has the power. An example of Jesus doing this, um, I think of I think of Lazarus when he was dead, and Mary and Martha came out to him, and uh, and how did Jesus? He responded to both of them differently, didn't he? And he was able to um, to comfort them, but he was also able to um, to bring Lazarus back to life again. Uh, the third pair. The spirit of knowledge, uh, the fear, knowledge and the fear and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Uh, they relate both to um, the fellowship with with Jehovah, with God. And so, definition of knowledge um, is understanding of an or sorry, understanding of or, or or information about a subject. Definition of the fear of the Lord is to love and obey God. Not merely out of a sense of reverence, but out of faith. So the Messiah, he knows everything, doesn't he? Uh, he knows everything about Jehovah, God, um, and he's willing to submit to his authority. Um, Jesus, 
he knew the Father intimately. How often do we, uh, how often did he quote scripture? He, he, he knew God so well, and yet, uh, he was even willing, the greatest example of this is Jesus giving his life, submitting his life, um, and giving his life up, um, on the cross. So that's sort of like the, the, uh, the characteristics of the Spirit that will come upon, um, Jesus. Um, but we know that Jesus, uh, Jesus is the Spirit, and the Spirit is Jesus. So all those characteristics are Jesus. Um, yeah, let's move into uh, verse three to three to five. Um, so the Messiah is the perfect, the perfect character of the Messiah. Um, Perfect. It's uh, it's it's quite a contrast in in which other human beings um, we constantly live in rebellion against God, don't we? Uh, but yet the Messiah will be perfect, and um, he's going to find um, he gives us deep joy in living with God and um, and a reverence for Him, and He's promotes promotes that as well in verse 3 it says uh, he will not judge by what he sees or by what he hears unlike human uh, leaders the messiah is not deceived by appearances the words judge and decide um, dispute disputes echo isaiah 2 and 4 so verse 4 it says um, but with righteousness he will judge the needy with justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Jesus will do this, won't he? Um, he defends the weak, doesn't he? And he kills the wicked with the rod of his of his mouth. Um, the, the truth that he speaks is the word of God. Um, I'd love to have a boss like this when I think about um, when I think about some things that I've uh, been maybe accused for or things that um, you know I'm judged for. Jesus, he knows the heart, doesn't he? He knows where you're at. He knows um, what you've done. Um, he doesn't judge by appearances. How good would it be to have a boss like Jesus? God cares, doesn't he? He he cares about uh, who we are, and his um, Christianity is the only religion where uh, where God will come down and and save you. He cares so much about us. Um, verse five it says, "Righteousness will be his belt; faithfulness will." Um, faithful, faithless, sorry, faithful, faithfulness, the sash around his waist. He's not, um, the Messiah's not sort of stuck by, uh, an ego or, um, sort of 
um, putting on a, some sort of persona. Um, even Paul sort of talks about this uh, in uh, Ephesians, where he talks about the armor of God, where he sort of uh, talks about putting on the belt of truth or faithfulness. Um, when we sort of put on the armor of God, we're actually putting on Christ, aren't we? Um, imagine if we had a government who um, whose righteousness were their belt, who uh, whose faithfulness was the sash around the waist. Um, quite different. Uh, so Jesus is going to is going to rule as a king like we've never had before. A perfect king. So that uh, those those verses have sort of talked about um, the character of the Messiah and the um, the person of, of, of the Messiah, who we know is Jesus. Um, this next section sort of talks about uh, his kingdom, the glorious reign of, of the king. Um, so remember I said at the start about having a sort of um, a pre- prophetic perspective. And so Isaiah now jumps in time again. Okay, so remember we're viewing a mountain range. And he starts to talk about um, in verses uh, 11, uh, verses 6 to 9, he starts to talk about uh, a creation, about people being re- renewed. That's the creation, that's animals and people. And he starts to talk and he uses this imagery um, that uh, is quite interesting. When you look at some of the animals, you've got, uh, you know, the wolf will dwell with the lamb. Um, you've got uh, wolf. Uh, you've got you've got sort of they're, they're coupled by the natural and their, and their prey. Things are going to be completely different when uh, when when sin entered the world. Things changed whole world changed and Jesus is going to restore all that does that mean that we're all going to be vegetarians in heaven I don't know um, it does say in Romans 8 verse 19 it says for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed for the creation was subjected to frustration but now by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole, sorry, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So things are going to be um, completely changed and, and renewed as if before, before the fall. Um, next section, uh, verses 11, sorry, verse 10. People will gather. People are going to come from all, all nations. Not just, um, this, this was a message just, uh, for, Ju- for Judah, but for, uh, this is actually going out to all generations. Uh, sorry, to all nations. Um, it says, for the Gentiles will seek him. And so, um, 
also says he shall stand as a banner to the people. I, uh, I think about uh, when, when you think of banners and how I guess that, that draws people uh, under that banner. Uh, think of the footy, uh, think of flags, that kind of thing. Cat was in the city yesterday and there was a march going on. I think of marches, um, some maybe for different reasons. But this is, Jesus is going to be that banner. And we're going to be drawn to get, drawn, um, to Jesus. And he will, um, he, he is that banner. Um, let's go to the next section. Uh, people will be united. So verses 10 to 16. This is, uh, where it sort of talks about, uh, Ephraim. Now Ephraim, that is, uh, in other words, Israel. Israel was sort of, at this point, was sort of, they weren't, they weren't at peace together. So even though they were part of the, uh, the kingdom, they were, they were sort of separated, divided. But it talks about here that they will be, uh, at peace, um, together. And that there will be, a, uh, wherever they're scattered, nothing's going to stop um, the people, the the people of Israel, the, the Jews, coming back to God. God's going to um, get rid of any obstacles. It mentions places. Um, it mentions places far in the east, like in Egypt, and the south, like in uh, in Cush, and then as far north. And, and as, and as, um, as the Euphrates, as, uh, west, sorry, I said west, um, east, Egypt. West is Egypt. Um, west of, um, the, uh, where Babylon. And so, uh, wherever the Jews are scattered, God's gonna make a way for them to come back. Just like God made a way for the Israelites to come out of Egypt, um, God's going to sort of make a way for um, for the Jew, the remnant to come back. Even though the Assyrians were the ones that sort of were driving them out, um, God, it says here that, that God will dry up the um, the Euphrates, which is sort of to the north, which is where the Assyrians had come from. And so it's going to be um, pretty amazing to be there and to be in his in his kingdom. So hopefully you can sort of see that, uh, that this passage talks about the Messiah and hopefully that, that the Jesus, uh, you can see that Jesus fulfills all of that and that, uh, the, his kingdom, uh, will be, uh, will be an amazing place to be at. Well, what's our response now? Uh, Isaiah concludes this section in, uh, in chapter 12. And uh, it's a song of praise. And Isaiah conclu- um, concludes this section by foreseeing the day when God's people will praise him for the joy and salvation that they have. Isaiah says um, that they will sing songs of thanksgiving and of trust. Uh, with joy um, to the to the saved uh, remnant that they um, they will f- 
uh, their thirst by drawing from the, um, the wells of salvation will be quenched. Israel will also sing as God's missionaries to the nations, inviting them to come to Christ for satisfaction. So our response uh, is quite normal, is to praise and worship from this. Um, there's lots of instances where um, uh, after God's revealed himself or after God's done something, uh, the natural response is to praise and to worship him, isn't it? What I would like to do uh, now is uh, I want to give you some time. I want to give you uh, five minutes to uh, to think about your song of salvation. I don't want to mention really the word song because I, I want you to write a song that has um, there's music and, and has to flow, but I want you to just reflect um, and I want you to think about your own salvation. How has God saved you? And if you were to write a song, what words would you use? So chapter chapter 12 um, is, a, is a song for Israel, but, but, but what is your song? So I want you to think about how God has saved you, how God has uh, rescued you, how God has um, brought you out of... Um, out of slavery. It's given you purpose, given you new life, given you hope. And so I want you to, um, to, I'll give you five minutes to sit down and write your song, write your reflection. Um, we don't have to sing it afterwards, unless someone wants to. Um, due to COVID reasons, we can't have pencils, but uh, if you've got your own, you can um, you can write in on a bit of paper. Um, or you can just do it on your phone. So just write on your phone. Um, what what is your what is your song of, of salvation? So I'll give you five minutes, and then I'll come back, and we'll finish up. If you want to share your song with someone, I encourage you to do that after the service. Share, ask someone what they wrote. I'd like us to uh, to sing a song now. Um, it's called King of Kings. It's not the it's not the King of Kings. It's not maybe the song you're familiar with in, in that we sang in kids in kids church, but it's uh, it's from Hillsong, and it says the, the words go uh, say this: um, In the darkness we were waiting, without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running. There was mercy in your eyes. Um, to fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. To reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lust, to redeem the whole creation, you did not, you did, sorry, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, we saw to the other side, knowing this was our salvation. Jesus, for our sake, you died. Let's uh, let's sing this song. Uh, I guess in response to what uh, what Christ has done for us. Thanks, music team. Please stand if you wish. <laughs> 